Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 48. It's page 1044 in your Black Pew Bibles, if you have those in front of you. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 48. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away. And found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought, the, brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice of, for all the mighty works that, he, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What, what w- would that you do? Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal, uh, principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Luke 19, verses 28 through 48 is our, is our teaching text. It's Palm Sunday, and we're glad you're here. We're going to have a, we've already had a lot of things going on. We're going to have a good day, potluck. We're going to eat and have the uh, Easter egg hunt. We'll have a good time together. Um, great week planned, actually. This is Passion Week. This is uh, starting the celebration of the Passover. Uh, we'll learn a lot about that this week we have uh, a reading guide for your family if you're some of you do devotions with your children um, but this is this would be a great week to do that there's a, a reading schedule in the, in the worship guide of what happened each day of Jesus uh, the last week of Jesus life so I encourage you to to do that with your family if you don't have a plan it'd be something that's very easy to do you know, you can tell a lot uh, about what's important to someone by looking at how they spend their time. Think about music lessons. Sometimes uh, parents, they, 
they spend a lot of time and money on getting their children music lessons, whether it's guitar or piano or otherwise. And they spend a lot of time taking their kids back and forth, back and forth to lessons and spend a lot of money. And their enthusiasm sometimes far exceeds their children's enthusiasm. And you can tell that by the amount of time their kids spend doing everything but practicing, right, uh, their music lessons, whether it be piano or guitar. But whatever we willfully spend our time on, we think is important. Um, think about work. For some of us, maybe we work excessively. So we could say, maybe not because you have to, but because you like what you like the money. Well, money's important to you. Maybe leisure. Maybe um, going to the 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 lake, or maybe it's fishing, or hunting, or uh, shopping, whatever. Whatever we spend our time on indicates a lot about what's important in our lives. And it's true for the Lord as well. You can see the emphasis in the scriptures. You can see the emphasis an author puts on something by the amount of ink that's spilled on a subject matter. Think about Jesus' ministry. It spanned three years. And we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us about Jesus' life here on earth. Each of these writers spend a proportionally larger amount of time writing about the last week of Jesus' life than any other thing. About 30% of his writings was spent on the last seven days of Jesus' life. Mark about 38%. John, 48%. And Luke, the gospel we're looking at today, about 25% of the gospel is spent on the last seven days of Jesus' life. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God inspired these gospel writers to write what they wrote. So not only was these last seven days, these events that took place, the last week of Jesus' life, it was important to the, the authors, the men who penned these words, but also to the Lord who inspired them to write these things. So this week is very important. I want to set the text for Luke chapter 19. I apologize, the mic is going. I'll just camp right here. Find out what the problem is with this. And so Sarah wore it Sunday. She wore it all uh, this morning. She says, it never does that when I wear it. So something about me, I don't know what it is, the microphone's having trouble, but we'll just stay here. I'll just stay parked behind here, and we'll go this route. Sarah, I appreciate you. So let me set the context, Luke chapter 19. Jesus has called his disciples to himself, and he begins. Uh, he'd been doing ministry for several years. He had been, um, it's got a lot of feedback there, baby girl. Sorry. So Jesus had been revealing himself to his disciples over these years in his teaching, how he taught, in his miracles, the things he, he's done before them. He told them on several occasions that his upcoming death was uh, um, going to take place. He talked about his resurrection. And as his popularity grew, so did the religious leaders' animosity. 
So they had began to look for ways to discredit Jesus. But every attempt that they tried, every time they had tried to discredit Jesus, it left them looking more and more foolish and Jesus more and more righteous. Also, in Bethany, Jesus had just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And people are placing their faith in Christ as a result of this ministry. His following is growing, and the religious leaders are looking to do away with Christ. And not only Christ, but also Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. Now, Philip, one of his disciples, told Jesus that he wanted him to show him the Father. And Jesus answered him in John 14, verse 9. Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at this text today, and let's just uh, look at the, maybe learn the characteristics of God in these few events. And these few events are going to take place the first two days of Passion Week. So three points today that we'll point out. The first one Notice Jesus' sovereign rule, yet humble resolve as he rode into Jerusalem. That's this triumphal entry, verse 28 through 40. Many in the city, uh, there are many people in the city because of the Passover. Um, There are many people in Jerusalem that had gone out when they heard that Jesus was coming to meet him. Even though this this was a a big event where Jesus appears to be made much of, I want to point out this triumphal entry. I want to point out Jesus' humility, even in this event. Firstly, notice what he was riding. What's he riding into into Jerusalem? Yeah, it's not this white stallion, right, or a black stallion, right? It's a a donkey. What's that all about? Well, think about Solomon. Up up till Solomon's day, the kings, when they rode a a mule, a white mule, it signified um, his authority, his uh, position as king, his royalty. But after Solomon, that uh, began to change. And by this time, the time Jesus was on earth, it was more like modern-day perceptions. And I've, I've shared this before um, with you, but how many of you are like Gunsmoke? Am I Gunsmoke? Am I fans? Yeah, i got a few folks, a few folks. A couple of you are, love gun smoke and you're uh, scared somebody might think less of you. Uh, but you should, you should like gun smoke. It's a wonderful TV program. And you know uh, one of the stars of that show is Festus. And what's Festus ride? Yeah, yeah, he rides, well, yeah, it's a donkey, but it's actually a mule, but close enough, right? Um, so when you think about someone riding a mule, you think about Festus. The writers of the TV show, actually, what were they trying to do with his character? They were trying to make him look, yeah, incapable, accident-prone. Yeah, so they had him ride this mule. Bob Deffenbaugh, he says about Jesus riding this mule, he says, He did not march proudly into the city of Jerusalem on a strutting military fi- as a strutting military figure, nor did he ride on a spirited stallion. He rode on a donkey, symbolic of his humble, peacemaking assignment. Of course, if we know our Old Testament, we think about Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's a, it's a prophecy that, that, that reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus 
by riding in on this donkey, he's fulfilling the prophecy, right? But what he's not doing is he's not coming in uh, as a war hero. No, he's coming in humbly, fulfilling the prophecy and being humble in the process. Verse 38 says when he, he comes into the city, there's cloaks being put on the ground. The other gospel writer said there's palm branches that are placed on the ground. He, as he travels into the city on those palm branches, on those cloaks. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now to come in the name of something means that you come in some sense representing him and to come in order to set forward his purposes. So if he comes in the name of the Lord, you'll be setting forward his divine purposes. Now no doubt the people were in a, in a frenzy. They thought they were ushering in the future physical king, right? They thought that Jesus was coming in, as Chris spoke about earlier. They're thinking they're, they're ushering in a king that's going to throw off Roman oppression, that's going to deliver them from the Roman influence. The Pharisees, in fact, told Jesus to rebuke his, the, the disciples, rebuke the crowds. But the crowds, by saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they're identifying Jesus as their king. And that's what they thought they were getting. The welcome that he received was like that of military heroes of their day. They spread their cloaks and their palm branches on the road. They wave the palm branches in the air, much like we would do on Fourth uh, of July parades. My Fourth uh, of July, we for years have gone back to Georgia, where my wife is from, and they have a uh, a Fourth of July parade. And it's um, it's kind of it's a neat uh, neat um, event to participate in because they have all these steam engines that these people have re redone and they, they have these steam engines in this parade, but you'll see people and they'll wave the little stars and stripes, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of like the palm branches, what they're doing. They're excited. They're um, anticipating this king and what he will do for them. And in fact, later, Pilate would ask Jesus if he was king of the Jews, right? And that's why he was put on trial uh, for treason but they misunderstood how he would set up his kingdom he wasn't coming to overthrow the, the, the Romans and set up an earthly monarchy he came to die but no one but himself fully understood that at this time and some people call this triumphal entry this tragic triumphal entry because they didn't understand this kingdom would be a spiritual kingdom there's a physical aspect to it but not like they understood See, he would be crowned king, but he would be crowned king through suffering. And in fact, in five days, what's going to happen? As a, a trial, this mock trial that takes place, and Jesus is brought before the crowds. Some, not all the people, sometimes we portray this, this crowd that's saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who come in the name of the Lord. They're singing his praises. We'll be singing later crucifying well probably not all these people in fact most of these people probably aren't doing that but maybe some of them right is the religious leaders will instigate the crowd as jesus brought before the people and some of these people may have may actually have done that but what humility 
here Jesus comes as people are singing his praises, calling him a king, knowing that within a week's time he would be put to death. And while this crucifixion that we'll see on Friday was the most horrible crime imaginable and those that were responsible for it, they're culpable for their sin, that sin didn't thwart the sovereign plan of God. But rather, it fulfilled it. See, Jesus knew what was taking place and he had set his, the Bible says he set his 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 face like flint towards Jerusalem in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Again, as he's setting his sights on Jerusalem, he's headed towards Jerusalem, he's making his journey there and he travels up uh, this highway that's steadily climbing and elevation. He goes through uh, Jericho and, and prior to getting to Jericho, Luke chapter 18, verse 31 and 33, Jesus again tells his disciples, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. I mean, he's going to this city and all along he's telling his disciples when I get there this is what's going to happen in fact after his his death burial and resurrection his ascension into glory Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 they acknowledge this Jesus sovereign rule as they prayed for boldness after they're released they, they say this in Acts chapter 4 verse 27 and 28 for truly in this city they were gathered together against you your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He knew this was going to happen. This was plan. This is plan A. This is not plan B. His apparent triumphant entry into the city actually precipitated the final events of his, of his life. This coronation, if you will, was actually what got the religious leaders so stirred up. So they would take action to have Jesus crucified. And yet, what did he do? Humbly walked into the city, obeying the Father's will. And the story that inaugurates this week leading to his arrest, trial, crucifixion, it teaches us that he's in absolute control of all these circumstances. And we'll see in verses 39 and 40, the Pharisees, of course, didn't see him as king, and they tell him to quiet the crowds who are crying out to him. But the Lord will be praised. If they don't do it, the rocks will cry out. See, that's the, the purpose of the universe, why everything's created, why we're here, is, is for what? What's the purpose? Is so that Christ will be praised. If the people don't do it, the rocks will cry out. That doesn't make any sense. That's kind of bizarre. What's the point? 
Jesus will be praised. That's your purpose and my purpose while we're here. It's not to be happy. It's not to be married and have 2.5 kids. It's not to own a house with a, a boat. It's not to have a child who's good at sports or smart. The reason we're created and put on this planet is to give him praise. And we see God's sovereign purpose being accomplished as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, instigating, goading the religious leaders to do what he knew they would do, and that is put them to death. The second thing we see in our text Verses 41 through 44 is Jesus' sorrow. Notice Jesus' sorrow over the lost. He sees Jerusalem and he, he wept. He wept over these people that he knew didn't understand why he came. Many of which refused to see, right? He could see the opportunity that they were missing. They didn't understand who he was and why he came. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. Peter had this, uh, saw this attitude in Christ as well. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises; some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all reach repentance. But this weeping, as Jesus cries, it's not to say. He's sad because his plan didn't work. You know, some people outside, yeah, Jesus came and he's doing all these good things, and people just wouldn't pay attention. They wouldn't listen to him. Even the disciples were boneheads, and they didn't know, they didn't get it. And so he just, oh, he just cried, and they just don't get it. That's not why he's weeping. He's not wringing his hands, wondering, oh, what am I going to do next? The Jews rejected him, and they wanted what he could give them by way of miracles. They didn't trust that he was a Messiah. So, okay, we have to have plan B. No, J.C. Ryle says this, as Christ here proves his twofold nature by shedding tears as man for what he foretold as God. From the very beginning, he said this is what's going to happen. He's been telling his disciples all along the way. They didn't understand exactly what he meant, but he's telling them all along the way. He's very clear. And every time he tells, tells them and prophesies about these events, he's giving them more and more detail, specific details of how this is going to take place. But no, the sovereign Christ weeps over hard-hearted, perishing Jerusalem as they fulfilled his sovereign plan. Hard-hearted, sinful people doing this to Jesus. It's not plan B, that's plan A. Despite their hard-heartedness, Jesus obeys the Father's will. Third point, verses 45 through 48. Notice Jesus' authority is, is seen in his attitude towards the irreverent. Remember, he enters Jerusalem to the accolades of the people. He goes to the, the 
the temple and he takes a gander. He looks around. He sees the market-type atmosphere there in the court of the Gentiles, and he, he leaves. And the next day he comes back, and he goes to the temple. And what does he do? As he entered the temple, verse 45, and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he sees the temple and, and they're in the court of the Gentiles. It's the outer court around the, the, the temple. They turned it into a market. See, everyone was traveling to Jerusalem. They had to have animals to sacrifice. And they had to have their currency changed. And, and if you've traveled anywhere out of the country, you understand that. First thing you do when you get to the airport, you're looking for, for a place to exchange money. Well, they, they travel there some long distances where they can't bring their animals with them. That's a lot of trouble. So what do they do? They just purchase them when they get there. They have to exchange their money. They have to buy the, the, the animals to sacrifice. But this is taking place in the court of the Gentiles. Now, it wasn't wrong for them to supply animals to purchase. It's not wrong for them to exchange money. But they're charging exorbitant fees, and they have this going on taking place in the, in the court of the Gentiles. You ever been to a third world market? Some of you have traveled and you've smelled it, you've seen it. It's not very conducive for worship, is it? But that's what's taking place. And it wasn't that they were just outright omitting worship from their lives. For goodness sakes, I mean, they're, all, they're, they're providing these sacrifices. They're providing them these money changers. For the worshipers, these religious leaders are, have set it all up. Look what we're doing for you. Don't say this isn't important for us or to us because look at what we've done. The problem is their irreverence. They're doing it, but it's in the court of the Gentiles with all this commotion going on. So Jesus drives them out, animals and businessmen alike. Jesus is disgusted at what Judaism had become, going through the motions. So what do we do with this text here, these three incidences that were given in Luke chapter 19? I think firstly, just ask on the heels of this last text, what about our attitude? What about our attitude today? You're thinking, well, goodness, I had a hard week. I worked six days this week, 60 hours. I only worked 40. I worked 60 hours this week. I mean, come on, preacher. I came to church. I didn't have to do that. I could have slept in. Or you know what? I got to do it at my house. It's the first pretty, real pretty day we've had. I got a lot of yard work to do. Trees to cut up, limbs to move, yard to mow, flower beds to weed. There's a lot of other things I could be doing, you might think. Well, I would just say for all of us, be careful that we too don't just go through the motions. What's our attitude towards the creator of the universe who not only given us life and breath and everything good, but provided a sacrifice that we could draw near to him and call him Father. What's our attitude towards the Lord? 
I think second thing by way of application, Jesus wept over the perishing. Do we weep over the perishing? I mean, let's just kind of cut to the chase. We're here at church and we share the gospel every week and often and we teach that a lot. But some people just have the idea, this understanding that, you know, the Lord just, in the end, it's all going to work out because God's gracious and we read all about his love and it's all going to work out. People either have repented and trusted Christ and know the Lord in an intimate way or they don't. And we read through the scriptures and it talks about this wide road and this large gate and many enter in it and they enter that path and the, the, the end of the the road there is destruction, is separation from God, is hell. But then there's a, a little bitty narrow trail and a small little gate, and Jesus says, yeah, a few enter it. It's, it's not all going to work out in the end for people who are lost. It's going to end terribly. But, but I think we have to, you know, question ourselves and check ourselves what's our attitude towards those who are perishing and I've been kind of struck by just this war that's taking place and next week we're going to have a, a video I want, I want to show one today but Nick is going to meet with those pastors talk to those pastors I think either today or tomorrow and get a, a, a more of a, a report if you will and so next week we'll be able to share what's being done with these pastors one's a, a pastor in Romania, right at the border where they're receiving refugees, and the other one is in across the border in Ukraine. It's a Romanian Baptist church, but it's in Ukraine. And so we're what we're what we're doing is we're sending money to, to Pastor Niku, who's beloved brother of ours. We've been partnered with him for many years, and he's sending those funds to these pastors as needed to help with humanitarian aid, all those kind of things. But but most importantly, using it as a way to share the gospel with lost people. And so Niku said, "Hey, how do you want to distribute this money?" I was like. Nigga, come on, buddy. We understand each other. We want the gospel to be presented to as many people as possible because people are that you hear these stories of train stations being bombed and houses being bombed and people dying left and right for no good reason. What should grip our hearts is, wow, were those people saved? Were they lost? Did they know the Lord? For those people who are lost, who perished, who lost their lives this week, if they're not in Christ, they're experiencing hell right at this moment. That should grieve our hearts. That should move us. It moved Christ, and it should move us. Thirdly, just by way of application, Jesus rode into Jerusalem with this mission to accomplish the, the accolades that he had not allowed all throughout his ministry. And, and, and I get asked this question all the time because they see it seems like a contradiction. Would Jesus tell them, don't tell anybody? He heals people, heals people, heals people, heals people, heals people, heals people. He says, shh, don't tell anybody. 
very few times does he allow someone during his ministry to go and tell. Usually it's in, in areas, Gentile areas, where they didn't have a biblical worldview, right? An Old Testament worldview. But all of a sudden here, they're just, it's not just letting them do it. It's kind of, yeah, bring it on, bring it on, right? As Jesus rides in on the donkey fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah 9. People ask that question all the time. This is, what is Jesus doing? He's goading them. He's instigating them to bring about his demise. He knew this would prompt the religious leaders to have him arrested, falsely accuse him, him to be wrongly crucified. This was all part of his sovereign plan. Jesus, he came to die for sinners so sinners could be reconciled to the Father. So my question is, did Jesus die for you? Come on, preacher, Jesus died to everybody. No, he died for sinners. He didn't die for every sinner that's ever lived. If you don't understand that, you have a question about it, I'll explain it to you when I'm finished. What did Jesus' death accomplish for you? If you haven't repented and trusted Christ and his, trusted his work on the cross as your own, his, his death has accomplished nothing for you. And that means you're, you're, you're separated from the Lord because of your sin. And when you die, you breathe your last. You'll be separated from him for all eternity. So by way of application, I would say to you, sinner, repent and trust Christ's work as your own. Trust that Jesus, what he did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that was for you so that you could be justified. You say, preacher, you do this every week. Next week you come, we'll do the same thing, right? But for, by way of application for us, it's yet to repent, it's, yeah, that's first steps, right? Canon Green says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and worship, we have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. Indeed, only the man who is prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. Jesus died for sinners. Did he die because of you? For you? Repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. It's a strange paradox. The, the king is coming. The people rejoice, singing Hosanna in the highest. We sing it today. Yet they fail to understand that the king they welcomed is the servant king. The king who washes the disciples' feet. The king who came not with an army, but with a weapon. A weapon so powerful that even not even death could resist it. And that weapon is this sacrificial, giving kind of love. The love of God laid out upon a cross. We've got a great week planned. Wednesday we'll have our normal Bible study meal time together. On Friday we'll focus on the death of our Savior. 
Friday at 7 o'clock, we'll look at what Christ did on the cross. And, of course, we anticipate Easter, celebrating his victory. It's V-Day. Kids, you know what V-Day is? Anybody know what V-Day is? And what are we teaching our kids in school? V-Day. I'm kidding. We got great teachers teaching us great things. But V-Day may be something you're not familiar with. Get your parents, your grandparents, whoever brought you to tell you what V-Day is. But Easter's V-Day for us, right? It's Victory Day, day we celebrate. Looking forward to celebrating that on Sunday. Well, hopefully you'll understand these texts, how they fit together a little better, the importance of the triumphal entry, God sovereignly in his plan, provoking the religious leaders who are going to arrest him, going to put him through a terrible trial, leading to his death on Good Friday. So glad you came. We're going to stay and eat. If you're, um, you've got to eat, you might as well eat with us. And we have plenty of food. We'd love for you to stay. Kids will do an egg hunt. We've got other things planned, but what we're going to do is I'm going to dismiss us in a word of prayer and we're going to give thanks for our food and what we want to do is if you're visiting with us we want you to go and get in the front of the line let our visitors if you're if you're an older person if you're an older person you know who you are all right if you're not an older person if you're not an older person no worries get in the back of the line okay but this is your opportunity to get in the front if you don't want to be called an older person then I'll be the last one through probably you can eat with me all right Let's pray and we'll give thanks for our food and dismiss us. Father, you're good to us and we're thankful for your word that teaches us who you are and teaches us who we are. We recognize that we are sinners separated from you, that we deserve your worst, we deserve your wrath, we deserve hell in every way. But God, we're so thankful that Jesus took on flesh, he came to this earth and he obeyed you perfectly in perfect righteousness. He did all the things that we're called to do, all the things we must do in order to have a relationship with you. Father, we're thankful for his, for his trip into Jerusalem. Knowing what's going to happen, he willingly provoked those religious leaders that led to his death so that he could rise on the third day and give us life. Father, there's so many testimonies represented in this room of those who've yielded to you, who call you Lord. Not any perfect people, but yielded people. And we're thankful that you've saved us. We recognize that it's not because we're good, it's because you're good. And we recognize even now that we have so much to learn. And we're, so still, we're still so unlike you in so many ways. And Father, there's some here who've yet to repent. They've yet to cry out to you. Maybe they don't see the need. Maybe they see the need, but they're not willing to surrender and yield to you. I pray that you would do a work in their heart even today, that they may soon, even today, call you Lord. Father, help us to apply your word father for those who are hard-hearted towards the lost may we may our hearts be broken and may we be compelled to share the gospel this week father for those who are prideful 
arrogant. Those of us who are irreverent, going through the motions of our mundane Christian lives, Father, may you shake us, convict us, and give us motivation and enthusiasm once again for your glory. Father, thank you for the food that's been been cooked. So many have just sacrificed their time and energy and money just to provide food that we'll have it to eat today. May we celebrate and, and have a sweet time together. Thank you for it. We know there are hungry people in Ukraine. Lord, all over the world, there are just pockets of people who don't have enough to eat, and we have so much. We're thankful for providing it for us. Bless our time this afternoon. May it be sweet. And may we leave this afternoon rejoicing because we, we're all together today. In Jesus' name, amen.